TSX or no audio. Hello, skeptical scholars. It is Monday, the 26th of February 2024, just after 9:30 p.m. here on the Eastern Seaboard of Australia, and we have another week in review for week eight. First of all, there seems to be a minor spate of following going on at Substack, and it is possible that we have a few new community members listening to this uh, weekly, <laughs> weekly uh, rant with a structure. Uh, so welcome to all of you. And the structure is three parts. Part one is I read out the anti-war headlines from the week. Part two is I wobble on about a few interesting articles I saw during the week. And part three is sometimes I go on about stuff that happened in the newsletter and otherwise I use it to rant about other things. Anyway, enough of that. On with part one. Uh, part one and uh, part two generally are structured under subheadings, uh, which change a bit just because the news doesn't stand still. Uh, and the one that's uh, been absorbing the attention of um, most of the world for the last few months is uh, The Genocide. And that's the title for section one, The Genocide. And we have, report, Israel was behind attacks on gas pipelines in Iran. U.S. threatens to veto new Gaza ceasefire resolution at U.N. Security Council. Israel cabinet unanimously rejects, quote, international diktats, end quote, on Palestinian state. Qatari PM says Israel-Hamas hostage talks, quote, not very promising, end quote. And Netanyahu boasts that he's blocked a Palestinian state, quote, for decades, end quote. Gans. Israel will launch assault on Rafah by Ramadan if hostages are not released. U.S. drafts its own Gaza UN resolution after threatening to veto a ceasefire. U.S. vetoes another Gaza ceasefire resolution at the UN Security Council. Israel demolishing buildings to construct road in Gaza to cut the strip in two. Israeli Knesset overwhelmingly backs Netanyahu's rejection of a Palestinian state. Asked about dead Palestinian kids, Representative Andy Ogles says, quote, kill them all, end quote. Israel intensifies airstrikes in Rafah as invasion looms. Quick reminder, that is where Israel said that Palestinians should go to avoid all of the war, all of the warring. Yes. 14 billion US aid package for Israel crafted to prepare for, quote, multi-front war, end quote not just Gaza. Netanyahu agrees to send negotiators to Paris for hostage deal talks. Hmm. Netanyahu's post-war plans for Gaza call for military occupation, quote, without time limit, end quote. US intel has, quote, low confidence, end quote, in Israeli claim a dozen UN staff participated in Hamas attack. Chapter 2, The Conflagration. New US sanctions on Houthis that block Yemen peace deal go into effect. Houthis say they shot down US MQ-9 Reaper drone. Iraqi militias stopped attacks on US forces at request of Iranian general. Israel carries out strikes near major Lebanese city of Sidon. US confirms the Houthis struck Two U.S.-owned cargo ships. U.S. drone strike in Somalia may have killed two Cuban doctors. Israeli airstrike on residential building in Syria kills two. Israeli airstrikes 
kill a woman and child in southern Lebanon, Yemen's Houthis hit another British-owned cargo ship. Chapter 3. NATO Stan. Biden says he'll impose, quote, major, end quote, sanctions on Russia over Navalny's death. Doctors Without Borders slams US for vetoing Gaza ceasefire resolution at UN. Biden calls Putin a, quote, crazy SOB, end quote. Chapter 4. Ukraine slash Russia. Ukraine withdraws from key city of Avdivka. Lockheed Martin to increase production of HIMARS rocket launches by 60%. Onwards to China slash Southeast Asia. Australia to double its naval fleet in build-up aimed at China. China steps up patrols near Taiwanese-controlled Kinmen Islands. US congressional delegation led by House's top China hawk visits Taiwan. And lastly, Assange. Assange's wife, lawyer, warned he will die if extradited to the US. End anti-war headlines. Section 2. Other Voices. Chapter 1. The Genocide. In UN Agency for Palestinian Refugees at, quote, breaking point, in quote, Press TV Iran, Gilbert Doctorow reminds us of the importance of this uh, situation in which Israel is trying to destroy the main conduit through uh, uh, aid, through which aid to Palestinian refugees flow. And if one listens to the most recent discussion between Aaron Maté and Napolitano on judging freedom, one can learn that one of the banks through which UNRWA, which is the UN agency of which they're speaking, processes its payments is an Israeli bank which has denied UNRWA uh, the ability. It closed their accounts, basically. It said, no, we don't blame you no more. So there you go. Not surprising. Uh, then we have something that it's, uh, requires me to pay some more attention, <laughs> damn it. Uh, and that is the continuous sequence of fantastic articles coming out of Common Dreams and a few authors there, particularly Jake Johnson. And this one's brilliant. US defends Israeli occupation at World Court. Now, it's not super surprising, but he's put in the work. It's basic, good quality reporting. And I know it's good quality because it's repub- been republished by Joe Laurier at Consortium News. And the same is true for all the stuff that's republished at uh, Shearpost by Bob Shear. These are veteran journalists and they know what good reporting is and is not. Uh, anyway, it's a, a hint to me to pay far more attention to what's going on at Common Dreams. Anyway, and then we have uh, this one, which is mad. It's, it's gorgeous. It's a wonderful article by Leela Wara. Uh, republished at Shearpost, and again, and this time from Mondeweiss. And it is titled Operation Al-Aqsa Flood, Day 139, as Palestinians in North Gaza starve Israel attacks Médecins Sans Frontier building in Rafah. Which is a bit of a mouthful for a title, but I love the start. <laughs> Operation Al-Aqsa Flood, Day 139, which is lovely. It flips the... Um, the October 7 narrative on its head. So, and it's beautifully written. I highly encourage it. And then we have uh, Professor Nikolai Petro uh, being interviewed by Pascal Latars from Neutrality Studies. And Petro is uh, a professor from University of Rhode Island. He has family in Ukraine and he has been, he's published a book on the hmm, social... Uh, conflicts, the dividing lines, as it were, in Ukraine, as 
an approach to consider how best to heal slash resolve them because of course he's trying to look at how can Ukrainian society heal itself from the wounds which will have been caused during the conflict. Uh, anyway, so he's very thoughtful and, well, of course, very well educated on the on the subject. And the the title of the interview is "Breaking Free: Ukraine Will Ditch Neocon Hawks Strike Solo Peace with Russia." Hmm, interesting. And then we have uh, another piece from Common Dreams: The USA must stop arming Israel's assault on hospitals. Kathy Kelly, and again, this is a personal story and a beautifully written piece. So, go nuts. Moving on to the next section, we have, or the next chapter, we have NATO Stan. And this is a another piece of just fantastic journalism by Jonathan Cook, republished at Consortium News. BBC Hamas, expose obscured Israel's genocide. And this is a lovely example of how um, the BBC is essentially concealing, misdirecting, etc. It's a quite... Uh, Read it. Just fantastic work by uh, Jonathan Cook. And then uh, Grand Delusions by Patrick Lawrence. And this is um, looking at the difference between uh, responsibility and guilt. It's a very subtle piece. Uh, it's beautifully written, of course, as one would expect from Patrick Lawrence. So that's there for, yeah, a human consideration of some of the currents that are flowing through world events and particularly those in Gaza. And this is a sort of news on the horizon thing, although it occurred earlier in the week. Armenia suspends participation in a Russian-led collective security treaty organisation which was published by Novaya Gazeta Europe. And this is essentially, let's cut to the chase, there are various uh, Western military uh, intelligence organisations who have been, oh, and groups like the NED and whatever, CIA, blah, 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 um, are provoking uh, the conflict between Armenia and Azerbaijan over the contested territory of Nagorno-Karabakh. And if you've been watching the news for a while, you'll have seen this pop up now and again. This is just the latest version of it. The uh, Collective Security Treaty Organisation is a Russian one, and it's generally known by its acronym, acronym the CSTO. And so this is uh, the latest phase in the reprovocation of the conflict that exists between Armenia and Azerbaijan. This goes back at least to the Second World War. It's a very old uh, thing that it's easy for um, the West to provoke conflict there. And it'll, I don't expect it to stop anytime soon. If you look back to the Munich talk by um, Vladimir Vladimirovich Putin in 2007 at the Munich Security Council. That was about, you know, collective security and so forth. And then the NATO response in Bucharest earlier the next year in 2008 was, fuck you, we're going to invite Georgia and uh, Ukraine into NATO. And that's that provocation in Jordan, uh, sorry, Georgia is just an example of the sort of prodding that um, the West has been doing at uh, the soft underbelly of... Uh, of Russia in the same idea that the uh, the military campaign in the Second World War as an attack through uh, Italy was going to be attacking the soft underbelly of, of uh, uh, Nazi Germany. It's the same sort of shit. Whatever. And then we have from Scott Horton at the Scott Horton Show an interview with Matt Taibbi. New revelations on the origin of Russiagate. And around here we're very well aware that Russiagate is a complete load of horseshit. 
that it was Seth Rich who provided the vast majority of the email records to WikiLeaks, which clearly outlined that the Clinton mob were undermining Bernie Sanders' campaign for the Democratic primaries in the 2016 elections. It's a case of political corruption, straight up and down, and it doesn't matter who the fuck the messenger was, that's the message. But how do you hide that sort of shit? Well, you roll it all up together, because Clinton hates Assange because WikiLeaks published the state cables, which exposed how her lovely little foundation with her hubby were making squillions out of political influence. So, no love lost between the two of them, and this was just a way of rolling that all up with Russia. <laughs> oh, the Russians are hacked the thing, and they gave it a weekly lead, and as Ray McGovern said so beautifully at the time, not too long afterwards, this is, what, end of 2016, uh, that it all is clear to anyone who's looking carefully that the whole thing's a beat-up, and <laughs> McGovern's... <laughs> As a summary was, it's a twofer. <laughs> it's a twofer. You get Assange, you get WikiLeaks, and you get Russia at once. Yeah. McGovern, love him. Anyway, so that's just an extension of that. Um, and this comes from his collaboration with a couple of other journalists, which uh, he established during their investigations with the Twitter files, which is, you know, that's the government at one arm's reach getting their fingers into censorship which of course is against the bloody rules but what do you mean rules uh, it's the it's the no rules world order right whatever and then larry johnson this is good read this just for the hilarity of it especially the video piece that he includes so the us the uk's ejection dysfunction failure to launch so the back backstory is that the uh, the royal navy decided to go to test one of their trident missiles so they did so from a submarine somewhere, deliberately unwritten tell you what it was, because why would they do that? And uh, we pressed the button, and not much happened. <laughs> Top came off, and that was about it. There's the shaft. <laughs> the, uh, yes, the, the missile stayed in the, in the shaft. Well, yes, that thing. Nothing happened. And, of course, good old uh, Johnson. He seems to be a bit of a, uh, a film buff. He continuously references uh, material from public culture from, to... Uh, provide analogy to the points he's making. And in this case, he's dug up a piece of Monty Python on the Royal Navy, and it's hilarious, so enjoy. And then we have something for people who take the world far more seriously, and, and like sort of academic publications, we have one from Jack Matlock, former US diplomat, which was originally published in American Diplomacy and republished by uh, N.S. Baldwin uh, at uh, Natalie's Place Understanding Russia, and the title is The Christmas Gift That Keeps On Giving, which doesn't give the topic away. The topic is the Brezhnev Doctrine. Yeah, piece of old Cold War uh, understanding or methodology or approach by the West. And so he examines that, and sort of it's a bit of a mea culpa, really. Uh, at least describes what was going on. So if you're interested in the history of diplomacy and what was going on at the end of the uh, Cold War, particularly in the era in which finally something productive was done in terms of dealing with intermediate uh, nuclear range missiles, uh, which is something you hear uh, McGovern and uh, Scott Ritter go on about when they have the opportunity because they're involved in this. Anyway, it's a background to all of that uh, part of history. So very, very interesting uh, and a bit drier. Uh, and then we move on to the next section, uh, that is what I should say, chapter. We have Ukraine slash Russia. 
And Moon of Alabama, good old Bernard, has rolled in with a couple of brilliant pieces. I'm an ardent fan of Bernard. Um, first is, Ukraine can no longer win. It, in fact, never had a chance to win. And this is a stunning piece of analysis, in my view. I've sort of reused it in a couple of articles this week uh, because it's that important. It's so clear. And the other one uh, is, you know, just a painting a target on the donkey. Uh, screw the facts. Europe commits itself to further escalation. You know, like idiots. But we know that what's going on with these technocrats. Uh, anyway, so moving along, we have another one um, out of uh, uh, Natalie's place, Understanding Russia, and it is from Fred Weir, which is a follow-up from last week, where I pointed out that I quite like Fred Weir. He's a, he's a, he's a good journalist, and he publishes for Christian Science Monitor, and this one is for Kremlin. Divide with West isn't just geopolitical, it's moral. So he's looking at the statements coming out of Russia's executive government, the Kremlin, and trying to look at those a little bit more clearly than is done by the general MSM, as it were. So just on sort of flagging him as a good writer uh, to keep one's eye on. Um, anyway, and then we move along to couple by John Helmer, who is wonderful. She, you never know where it's going to go. Anyway, um, and the first one wins just from the title, What Happened to Alexei Navalny This Time Round? <laughs> Which is just beautiful, because you remember, of course, there was the, oh my God, he's been poisoned and he's flown off to West Germany because he needs care for the poison. And the conclusion is, the Russians just can't poison anyone because this all follows up with what they were meant to have done in Portland, whatever, what was that thing? Um, yeah, it's... Anyway, but but the um, the really... Out of nowhere, gorgeous article is the future for Russian art, Needle versus Haystack, in which he exposes the sort of anti-Russian uh, bias in the art, in the Western art market. I mean, Helmer, God, he's good. And of course, in both cases, it's all like, here are the sources, da 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 So, oh God, oh, I love him. Uh, and then let's have another ch- chapter. Let's move on to China slash Southeast Asia. Nada. There was nothing in particular interest on that front. There you go. It was, of course, all about Julian Assange and the application for a an appeal to Magistrate Baretz's ruling, which was that Assange shall not be extradited based upon health grounds. And the reason uh, his legal team are appealing or attempting to achieve an appeal is because... They had ignored a whole bunch of other evidence on all the other counts. So you really just went, all right, what would do is ignore all of the substantive arguments made about the fact that, you know, freedom of speech, political offence, he was spied on, all the other stuff. And we'll just go for, ah, oh, look, he looks like he's a bit sick, we don't want to kill him, so we might export him. <laughs> and everyone was very happy about the, the, the result, no, no extradition. Uh, but the problem was <laughs> that all of the other stuff that, the, that was put forth by the idiots like Kronberg and whatever from the... Um, DOJ were totally accepted by Barreto, which was just oh god, that's not so good. So that's the that's the motivation is to actually have a, a proper appeal instead of just the case of the previous appeal, which was the US saying oh, oh we promise we won't put him in under special uh, administrative measures and kill him uh, immediately, <laughs> basically. You know, and if but if he does anything we don't like. Uh, and by we, that would be the CIA, then, uh, uh, you know, we might just have to do that to him. Yeah. 
that was that was the uh, that was the assurances. Anyway, so of course there's a whole bunch of stuff there, and a, a bunch of all the old friends have come out because this thing's been going on for so long that a whole bunch of excellent people died during the course of the 15 years of oppression for Julian Assange, and the ones that have survived have got together to sort of pass notes on what's been going down. So we have U.S. deceptions at the heart of Assange case by Joe Laurier, editor-in-chief of Consortium News, an open letter for from editors and publishers, publishing is not a crime, republished by Bob Shear at Shear Post, Julian Assange's final appeal by Chris Hedges, <laughs> reporters roundtable on Assange, <laughs> ring day one, I'm a bit sick in case you can't hear. <clears throat> Your man on the Sons' final appeal, Craig Murray. Uh, it's wonderful that Murray actually managed to get, make it to the court after he'd been abused by, we don't know who that might be, MI5, um, having his passport stolen, his wallet stolen, and whatever, a couple of other things, <laughs> like just before the, the trial's about to go. Yeah, anyway. Um, I don't like Murray. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, Julian Assange's day in court, etc., etc., etc. So lots of stuff there if you're interested. If you're still learning about what the hell the whole uh, Assange case is about, you'll learn quite a bit by um, reading uh, these articles or watching these things. What else have we got here? Yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff from uh, uh, Judging Freedom, of course, much of which is interesting. Uh, there is one, there's one with um, Gabriel Shipton in which uh, Judge Napolitano... Uh, relates what he's uh, attempted to do by having a, a, a word in the shell like, as the Poms would say, of uh, then President Trump. Uh, to I, I get pisses me off when people say that that um, they're you know attempting to convince the president to pardon Assange. I say it again: the guy's not fucking guilty of anything. He was he was done for bail violation, but that was basically because he had to scarper into the Ecuadorian embassy. Well, because he was about to be extradited. So even that's a piece of shit. The guy's not guilty of anything. You can't pardon someone who's not guilty. <laughs> what you can do is take call the dogs off and tell the DOJ to fucking stop it. <laughs> Jesus, guys. Use the correct terminology. What the, the idea is to call the dogs off. Drop the charges. Drop the extradition request, right? If you drop the charges, then the extradition request disappears with it. Because then there's nothing to base it upon. So yes, drop the charges and hence nix the extradition request. That's what, this is what any sane government would do. Anyway, um, what else have we got? Oh yeah, um, hmm, important thing. The Ukraine War and the Eurasian World Order, a new book by Professor Glenn Deason. Now again, Pascal uh, Latars has a guest to discuss matters with and that would be the author of said book, Glenn Deason. And all you have to do is follow the link that I include to the page where, of course, the video is published in two places, one of which is Pascal uh, Lataza's uh, YouTube channel uh, called New Channel that he studies. But the other, of course, is Professor Deason himself. Um, and all, there are two interviews out in which he discusses the book, uh, one of which is with Lataz and the other is with, uh, I think it's Matthew Errett. But the point, Errett's already on his page, you know, believes in the, um, I keep thinking Malthusian, uh, Mackindarian uh, geopolitical analysis. You know, he and I, for example. Um, and so this, I, I thought it was better to look at the 
discussion between Lataz and Deeson because Lataz isn't necessarily on that same page yet. So it might be a more interesting uh, interview. But the point is to go and look at the show notes section of Decent, which I provide, Decent's page. Click on the show more thing and look at the quotes that go on the book from a whole bunch of people. And when I say a whole bunch, here we go. Mearsheimer, Freeman, as in Chaz Freeman, the former US ambassador. Matlock, yeah, that's that guy I mentioned above, another ex-US ambassador. Karaganov, that's the guy of like the serious foreign policy um, think tank-ish thing in Russia. Sakwa, that's Professor Sakwa from uh, University of Kent, who is a little bit like um, uh, Nikolai Petro in that he has been studying uh, East European politics for a long time, really understands the history of background to Ukraine and has been making, yeah, offering very educated comment on the whole um, stupidity of the Ukraine war. Uh, Claire Daly, uh, Ray McGovern and Alastair Crook. I mean, if you can get those people to make comments on your book and you can stick it on the back, that's pretty good, right? Now go read them and find out what that, how important they think the book is. So the video is there so that you can hear uh, during the interview uh, what the book is discussing. And I think that's enough of section two. It's time for section three. What's been happening in the newsletter? And the answer is responses to the two major events of the week, along with some other random waffle. So those two events were the route of Alvdivka and the trial of Assange. Now the reason that the trial of Assange is interesting, it's because it's a pet topic. <laughs> I like it, and I don't like the fact that these people who claim that they're standing for freedom and democracy and, and uh, you know, freedom of speech and da 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 i.e. the Western governments, are basically killing a journalist uh, because he exposed the uh, crimes of empire. Straight up. <laughs> and so I reckon they deserve to be held to account, and fuck it, I'm going to do it. So there we go, that's that. Go read stuff if you care. Uh, the second one, uh, the route of our Divka, is... Uh, a major event because it is the uh, the turning point, in my view, of the Western understanding of what's happening in, in Ukraine. The military intelligence and military leadership in the West are now having to come to terms with the fact that they've been back on the wrong horse, <laughs> or they've been flogging it as much as they can, and it's about to fall over. So they have to deal with the outcome, which is coming. Uh, it's unavoidable. Uh, see that article by uh, Bernard from Moon, Alabama. It's a killer argument. Sorry for the, it's a, probably the wrong way to phrase that. Um, so they're going to have to deal with the outcome, and they've you know sort of apparently pinned all their uh, you know staked all of their futures on on you know Ukraine forever, and it's just not going to happen. And which is pretty obvious from the beginning. But anyway, so that's the key event in my view. Uh, and I'm sure more will be said of this uh, in time. And indeed, I have another article out on the on the exact topic. Um, so let's now, with those two key events out of the way, skip to the other waffle that I've been going on about. The first of which is, yeah, that um, blurb on neo-colonialism and techno-feudalism. That looks like academic wank. It's not. Um, this is a, a discussion with Yanis Varoufakis, who's uh, a academic uh, economist who was Greek's finance minister during the nightmare of 2010 to 2000, whatever it was, 11, 12, uh, where essentially the European Central Bank and uh, other elements of what he (laughs) 
labelled the triumvirate because it was uh, the US Federal Reserve and some other financial institution that really came down like a tonne of bricks on the Greek economy. And he was just going, look, we cannot sustain this debt. Refinancing it is the way you're going to do it is not going to work. You won't get any of your money back. What you're doing is stupid. What we need is something like this, da da da, da. And in the end, he had to um, eject himself from the government because he could see where, where things were going to go and it didn't comport with his principles. But the man is a knowledgeable individual uh, and the discussion is about essentially looking at you take colonialism, what that was, so you understand that's basically going out, you know, conquering territory, subjugating people, gaining access to the primary resources there, bringing those back to the home country, you know, modif- manufacturing uh, those primary products into secondary products and then exporting those to the world and making money. Very simple. That's basically what colonialism is. And neocolonialism is the version of that that the US did after the uh, Second World War. They basically said to the existing empires of you know France and Britain, stop it, you don't get to do that anymore. We believe in freedom and, and a chance for everyone and so forth, which I'm entirely sure that uh, Roosevelt did. However, that's not what eventuated. What eventuated was uh, essentially a power vacuum, uh, which the US moved into and took control of. And there was a battle between themselves and the uh, Soviet Union at the time. And one could argue uh, you know, how much it was that the Soviet Union was actually trying to assist uh, these newly independent nations that you know managed to slink out from under the yoke of colonial oppression and uh, how much they were trying to help them be individual uh, standalone nations or whether they were trying to form some greater power block and that was the basis of the Cold War. Well, anyway, you can have that discussion all you want. That's not what Varoufakis is talking about. He's sort of going to look at the transition and look at what's happening now with uh, the West and particularly the US. And what he's, he characterises this new phase of their projection of power, because this is about power, is techno-feudalism. So I'll return to this topic at some point in the future because I think it's actually quite interesting. Uh, so that's what that's about. <laughs> and then um, on a related matter is the, um, the screencast, Non-Aligned Movement version 2, uh, and Pelosi insanity. So these are separate topics. But it's really an examination of what the hell was going on in uh, Moscow uh, while the stupidity or farce, call it what you want, of the situ- of the Munich Security Conference, which used to be an important event and now is just a stupid, you know, mannequins playing with their toys. Um, so that's that. And lastly, there it was the Dear Jessica article, uh, which was a response to a community member uh, who was expressing her opinion about uh, about climate change. And so this was my response to that uh, because we, I was composing a response to it in the comments which turned into sort of half an article. I said, look, uh, actually, Jessica, do you mind if I just publish it? And so that's what that's about. And um, I actually don't really care much uh, what you think about climate change. I've, you know, my sort of tentative approach to it and you're welcome to read about that there. Have at it. Learn, consider, argue, discuss, whatever you want. I, the, the, the underlying point to this article is that in topics which produce two camps yelling at each other, so COVID is one, uh, climate change is another, when, when that is the end result, then essentially there is a, there's a victory for the existing powers that be, divide the community apart and so forth. The truth is important and what you believe is important. So come to your own conclusions. I'm just trying to state mine. But as I said, underneath it is the ability to hold this, this idea that you can hold two ideas as both having validity, which other people will tell you you can't hold at once because they're, they're, they're apparently to these other, 
other people, self-contradictory, and they're not. There's plenty of cases of this. So look, when you see these divisive, divisive territories, is it possible that both camps, there's elements of truth in both of them? And can you, can you find a way to see truth on both sides and, and therefore stand outside of the, the, you know, you're with us or against it, Bubba Bush approach to the universe and go, no, fuck that. I, I'm looking for a, a, a better understanding. So that's part of what that's about. Anyway, good luck wherever you are. Onwards, the, uh, the news mill crunches. Until next time. Thank you.